Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Is somebody happy to be in God's presence today? One more time, can we appreciate the presence of God in this place? Can we bless the name of the Lord? Glory to God. Glory to God. What a joy to be in God's presence. What a joy to be in God's presence. Uh, for us as ministers, sometimes our gatherings are not as exuberant and excitable as the kind of atmosphere we want to create in church. <laughs> because um, uh, I think it's a matter of we're used to it. But I hope that today we will be as energetic as we want people to be in church. We will, our response will also be loud enough like we get a loud amen from people in church. So praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. What a joy and a privilege to be here to bring us God's word today at this very, very powerful uh, gathering of men of God and women of God. I count it a great privilege uh, again to be invited. Uh, I'm grateful to uh, our convener, uh, uh, Papa Michael Konko and, and Mama, for the opportunity to bring us God's word today. I also want to appreciate all of our leaders, our bishop, God bless you, sir, and all the leaders that are present and all the guest ministers that are here. Let's get into the word of God. For me, it's always a joy to speak to leaders and to speak especially to people who are leading in the body of Christ. We live in a time where we need to understand the mind of God and play our part so that God can do his part. And so that we will not hinder his move in any way at all. The topic that I have today is the role of the church in transforming community or in societal transformation. And I know it's, um, it's perhaps not what we love to talk about very often because it puts a burden on us, a burden on us to become aware of our assignment again and to take it beyond the regular things that we do all the time, which is to run services, to counsel people, to pray with people, to, you know, to do naming ceremonies and funerals, uh, you know, services, wedding services. I mean, the, the, the understanding that some people have about pastors is that you name people, you pastor them for their lifetime, you marry them, you know, and then if you outlive them, you will do their interment service as well. Uh, uh, but our work is much more than that. It's much more than that. A huge part of our work is to pay attention to the flock. But as a, a part of our work that transcends what we do as, uh, as just managing the church to much more how we impact the society, how we transform the nation and how we are the salt and the light of the world that God has instituted the church to be. I'm going to read a scripture, I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to dive into this. I may get into the deep end very quickly, because I'm talking to ministers. I, I do want to just, you know, play around this a lot. We, we, have, uh, we already have the foundational teachings around this, but I want us to get into some of the specifics of the things that must be pervasive on our minds right now if we're going to remain relevant as ministers in this time and in this age. Let's read from Matthew chapter 5. I'll read from verse 13 down to 16 from the New King James Version. Jesus speaking, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp 
and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Look at uh, the last verse, verse 16. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's say a word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in our midst today. Lord, starting from this first session, let today be a transformative experience. Let every minister gathered here and everyone who will join us and everyone who may be joining online, let us experience a move of your spirit in our lives. Touch our heart, touch our mind. Holy Spirit will give you permission to disrupt our agenda for our individual churches. That we may gain a divine alignment starting with our mindset, our perspective to the things that you are doing today. Open our eyes, O oh God, that we may understand your agenda for this current season. We give you glory and we give you praise in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Will somebody say it better? Amen. Amen. You're welcome, sir. Praise God. The role of the church in societal transformation. Judging from the words of Christ from Matthew chapter 5, the church is supposed to be a company of people who are transformative in their interaction with the society. The church is supposed to be a company of people who will preserve the society with the kingdom mandate, the values of the kingdom. A church is supposed to be a company of people who will rebuild what is going down. The church is supposed to be a company of people who will stand on the behalf of God to shine the light of Christ everywhere we are established. But today, what we see is that we are planting churches, Emma's, a lot is happening, especially in our part of the world. Currently, Nigeria is the epicenter of revival in the world. Africa is the epicenter right now. Christianity is growing more in our part of the world than any other part of the world. And Nigeria has been strategically positioned to lead the revival. And we see that with everything going on around us. The advent of new voices in ministry, whether in music ministry, teaching ministry, or power ministry. You can't mention so many people without mentioning a Nigerian. Our churches are growing in leaps and bounds. There's no community where we are that they don't feel our effect, either in our number or in the number of programs that we run on how or how we arrange ourselves and you know, we just want to take over. The only problem is that it does not look like the, the, the rubber is really, you know, touching the ground, if I can put it that way. Meeting the road in certain areas where the rubber must meet the road. We must not only be known for our programs or our sanctuaries, or our effect on social media or the number of people that we gather. We must also be known for tangible effect, sustainable, you know, measurable transformation. And that's the crux of my discussion today. How do we position for measurable, sustainable, tangible transformation in every place where we are planted by God. That is very important. In my opinion, and for the purpose of this sharing, two things are important if we are going to achieve that. One is resilient leadership. The second one is to raise an outwardly focused church. Can I say that one more time? One is resilient leadership. The second one is that we must be focused on raising an outwardly focused church. A church that is outwardly focused. A church that is outwardly focused. 
These are the two things that are required if we will transform society. We must pay attention to what I've chosen to call resilient leadership and then be intentional and deliberate about raising a church that is outwardly focused. Let's get into it. Resilient leadership. I want to spend maybe like the next 15 or so minutes just trying to describe what I mean by resilient leadership. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, when you read verse 16 and 17, say, woe unto you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. And blessed are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. There's something about leadership that seems to dictate everything. A whole land can be full of woes just because of the state of leadership. Yeah, just because of the state of leadership. Leadership, therefore, is very key. We will not be able to make the kind of impact that God expects us to make if we're not paying attention to how to build resilience in leadership. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9, he says, we are at press on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not struck down. Not forsaken. He says, struck down, but not destroyed. That is resilient leadership. That is resilient leadership, especially when we have to lead in the time that we are leading. This time is peculiar in many ways. There's a shaking going on around the world. And if the church will continue to pull the right strings and make the right things happen and influence society, we must focus on how we're going to build resilience in leadership to be like the Apostle Paul and uh, what happened in his age and in his time, extreme persecution. Yeah, extreme resistance. You and I have read in the epistles how Paul had to be, you know, bundled out of certain cities, bound hand and foot in some cases. Some cases throwing him over, you know, over the fence. In some cases, behaving as if he was dead so that they could just leave him after being beaten or stoned. It, it takes resilience because today we're faced with blows coming from different directions, from the political side to the economic side. I mean, if you pastor in any part of Nigeria and you're, you can only play the ostrich to think that your members are not feeling the effect of uh, subsidy removal, for instance. <laughs> and it's going to affect many things many things but you and I must know according to the prophecies of the scripture Second Timothy chapter 3 when you read from verse 1 said in the last days perilous times shall come yeah perilous times shall come and these perilous times will be filled with many things it, it's, it's going to be consistent shaking Men shall be lovers of themselves, you know, hateful, boastful, and all kinds of things. And leadership, political leadership, uh, societal leadership may be turned upside down. The values of our society may be turned upside down. It's a shaking. It's already prophesied in the scriptures. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 6 says, For thus says the Lord of us once more a little while. He said, I will shake the, the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. Uh, this is, these things should not be strange to us. Agai 2 and verse 6, that's, that, that's what I quoted. You know, it, 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 it shouldn't be strange to us. It should be something that we are prepared for. You know, coming into every year right now, we have to be sensitive to prophecy. Last year, February or so, we just came into the year, it looked like, you know, the February of 2020, it looked like everything was going to be okay. COVID came. 
and then COVID, last year, February again, the war in Ukraine came. It's affected, you know, GDP growth in many countries, including our own. It affected, you know, many things, many things. Uh, and these things are not going to stop. They're not going to stop. What it will require is resilience in those of us who are called to lead at this time, especially the church of Jesus Christ. So we will be able to say, like Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9 that I quoted earlier on, we are at pressed on every side, yet we will not be crushed. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Yeah. Yet we will, we will not be pulled down. Yet we will continue to push. We'll continue to push. So we're in a season of crisis coming out of COVID, you know, to unrest and protest, <laughs> to economic crisis, you know, to the, the, the dichotomy between digital and, you know, physical ministry and virtual ministry and all kinds of things to back leadership, to back governance, to, uh, <laughs> to subsidy removal, to war and threats of war everywhere. And in the midst of all this, the church must still be impactful. The only issue is that our measure of impact will not only be based on the number of people that will be in church. That is one measure, but that will not be the only measure. Welcome, man. Yeah. That will not, bless you, man. Yeah. That will not be the only measure. That will not be the only measure. There will be, I mean, there are many other things that God wants to measure. And those are the things that I want to point out to us today so that we don't overfocus, we're not carried away by the issues of the day. The church has a work cut out for us completely, and we must focus on it. We must beware not to allow confusion and hopelessness to degenerate into spiritual emptiness. Because that's what is going on around us today. And gradually, it may be touching ministers also. The world is replete with spiritual emptiness because of confusion, hopelessness, one bad news to the other. And rather than people seeking God, the devil will maneuver negative situations to paint a, a, a picture of, 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 of gloom and doom. And people start to resign into spiritual emptiness. The young people today are largely suffering from spiritual emptiness. And they call it mental health issues. <laughs> the Bible says the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. And a broken spirit who can bear. You can't be cutting, you know, spiritual emptiness and not having mental health issues. But it's for us as ministers, if we are really in a position to church the society, to church the community, we must be able to understand and articulate the issues that are pervasive in our environment, in the places where we are pastoring, and trust God uh, to give us direct wisdom and solution to be able to attack them, not just pay lip service to them. The world will call them a particular name. We must be sure of the name that we are going to call them. The, the world is always quick to jump out, to name something, so that before we get there, we, we, we will not dance to the name. No, we have to change the narrative. We need, we need to be able to call a spade a spade, not an agricultural implement. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There's no point dancing around it. Where there is spiritual apathy, emptiness, the devil will play around people's emotions. Yeah. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? That's what the psalmist says. Put your hope in God. It means if your hope is not in God, your soul will be downcast. Teenage suicide is going up around the world. Young people are now developing high blood pressure. <laughs> I thought that used to be the exclusive preserve of older people. <laughs> but our world has changed. And we have to pay attention because God expects us to, to, you know, to, to touch our world in specific places where it's hurting and not just to play church. If you and I have the privilege to lead the work of God in any city, 
We must trust God to open our eyes to the issues within the city, the issue within the territory, because we are the salt of the world, of the earth, the light of the world. And if we play to the gallery as to the issues that bedevil our specific locality, we, we are going to be like the, the, the salt that has lost its flavor and good for nothing but to be thrown under food. That will not be our portion in Jesus' name. Or somebody say a better amen. So, as I press forward in this exposition, something seriously came to my mind while I was preparing for this. And it's these two perspectives. I'm going to dive into it and quickly walk through the rest of the resilient leadership so that we can go into the outwardly focused church. I want to spend the last 15 minutes of my presentation on the outwardly focused church and explain a few things to us. But before we get into that, I saw two things that gave me some perspective in the scriptures, especially as regards our own country. One is the story of Joshua in the scriptures. A case study of Joshua and Nehemiah. I found that very instructive, especially as we discuss resilient leadership. God works in dispensations and time and seasons. In our nation today, two things are very important when it comes to resilient leadership. One is from the story of Joshua. How we're going to effectively pass the baton from one generation to the other so that we don't lose the temple. You know what happened in, 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 the, in the story of Joshua? In Joshua chapter 1, two things happened. That's that a generation ended an assignment and passed the baton to the Joshua generation. Then the Joshua generation needed courage to take the walk from where Moses ended to the next level. Part of what we are dealing with, and I'm saying this with a lot of sense of responsibility and consciousness, knowing that I'm standing before greatness. The, there's a struggle that is affecting resilience in leadership in our nation. And uh, I want us to pay attention to this. You see, we need consistency of that transition so that the temple will go from level to level. We're talking about the things that bedevil our society and our nation, for instance. We just came out of a political dispensation. We, we were a little bruised in this last this political dispensation, except we, we just want to play, play to the gallery. I don't want to go into the details. That's not why we're here. Yeah. But in our individual ministries, we need to pay attention to the transitions that are necessary. There are pastors who are trying to impact teenagers, but now can no longer understand the language of teenagers. You need to raise the people who will speak their language. Yeah, you spent enough time. Now you need to move from a teacher to a coach. Coaching the teachers to take over and you know, speak the language of that generation. That's what I'm talking about. We have our spiritual parents here. They've been on this for 40 years. That's a long time. Yeah, more than 40 years on this. They are in the transition season. Are we positioned? Yeah. To receive grace, to receive the baton. Are we going to lay hold on courage like God spoke to Joshua? Be strong and be courageous. Because that's, that's our assignment right now. In political leadership, for instance, in our nation, and you know, sometimes some things reflect each other. Uh, mostly, the church, the world reflects the church, or sometimes the church reflects the world. 
in political leadership, transition in our country has become very difficult. I mean, I thought about it, for instance, our immediate past president was head of state 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then he still came back. I see there are no other leaders <laughs> to take over the work. Yeah. And we must... Those people, someone like him, is supposed to have assumed the place of a, a coach. Yeah. Not to do the work, but to supervise the people that will do the work and take the country to a higher level. That's what we must not allow to happen in church. Yeah. Yeah. So that when we are supposed to, uh, you know, there's a way a man once, once said it, that if you don't know when to transition uh, to becoming a coach as a star football player, the same stadium where they used to watch you, very soon you will pay money to enter that stadium. Yeah. The only reason why you won't pay money to enter the stadium is you become a coach. Because you will finish your tenure and then you will now have to pay to come and watch other people. But if you are their coach, you will come in with them. You are the one giving them impetus and inspiration, you know, and direction on how to do it, you know, and how to move things. Yeah. In the same stadium, you will still be celebrated. Because when your team raise their trophy, the, the coach will be there. Yeah. And all of them will be bowing down to the coach to say, thank you. Thank you for leading us through this. That's the kind of transition that leads to consistent, resilient leadership. Can I tell you the truth? If we refuse to make appropriate transitions and build courage like Joshua, we'll be missing out on our assignment and the world will not even respect us. Can I tell you the truth? There are certain things that nobody in Nigeria, no government in Nigeria can try with our father here. But they will attempt to try it with some, I mean, my own generation. Because they know that they have paid their bill. They've done their part. There's, there's, except somebody is mad or the devil, except the devil wants to deal with somebody. That's when you will not recognize when you see someone you're supposed to honor or a general. But when you see people that are still just coming up, but if they feel like we don't have their backing, they will deal with us. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Our respect is a derivative. <laughs> so, somebody knows that your church is somewhere and you have a father. And if they touch you, your father will speak out. And they know they cannot deal with your father. They will give you the right hand of fellowship. <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. Yeah. But we need courage to take up the resilience. Look at the assignment of Moses was dif different from the assignment of Joshua. Moses, take them out of slavery. Like we say, it's like the gospel of salvation. Yeah, just take them out. And then Joshua, you distribute their inheritance to them. That's when we enter into the community and start to take over in different places. So uh, there's an assignment that is waiting for you and I to really fully transform the society, take charge of different, and I'm going to get into it in a, in a moment, to start to take charge of the different places. You see, when you read after Joshua, Numbers and all that, you see that the main assignment was to take allotments, take mountains, take territories, and occupy on the behalf of God. Sometimes dislodge. Sometimes come into some kind of accord. Yeah. But in some places, take them out completely. Because that's the plan of God. But Moses, though he saw the promised land, but perhaps he was not part of his assignment fully to execute that. He was supposed to take them in 
and he couldn't even take them in because of certain issues. We're not discussing that today. <laughs> but if he had even taken them in, he would still have to hand over to the person that will allot to them and lead them in the expedition to take charge. Has Moses done a good job? Yes. If you are doubting, ask Pharaoh. <laughs> Pharaoh will tell you, uh, Moses did a fantastic job. Are you still with me today? Don't forget, we are talking about resilient leadership and the sustainability of the temple, the understanding of our assignment. You know why I'm emphasizing this today? By divine privilege, I, I, I have the opportunity to travel around the world today. But one thing that really breaks my heart, and I know many people here are in the same shoes, and you'll bear witness, is when people ask you, oh, you're from Nigeria. Yeah, we heard that God is really moving in your country. But we also heard, that's the one that, tick, that me tickles me badly. We also heard that uh, there's political unrest. We also heard that uh, there's Boko Haram issues. We also heard that the highest number of poor people in the world are in your country, that you just outstrip India. <laughs> you know, a number of, you know, all those kind of things. And I stand and I wonder, and in my heart I pray to God, God, let this revival translate into a real transformation of our nation. Let it not be said that we are just growing as the church and the nation is going down. Yeah. Because that's not the full effect of the revival. The full effect of the revival is not just to take people out of Egypt, but to hand over their promised land to them and the places where God wants them to take charge. So another person that came to mind in this same situation, especially for those of us who are, you know, being trained, starting new parishes, starting, you know, new ministries within the ministry. Some people, you don't have to start a parish or a church. Uh, your ministry maybe is to children or young adults or women or men and all that. There's a mindset that we must have. That mindset of Joshua that takes people and goes into the community. And secondly, that of Nehemiah, who will not look at what is going down and what has gone down and be so despaired to the point that we won't be able to do anything. If you have read the book of Nehemiah before, and I'm going to show you just, a, 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 just two verses because of time. You will understand that what Nehemiah was facing then was like what the average leader or pastor faces in Nigeria today. Nehemiah chapter 2, for instance, when you read from verse, verse 17. He said, then he said to me, you see the distress, Nehemiah 2 and verse 17, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are born with fire. But come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. Somebody say, after me, say, Nigeria will no longer be a reproach as long as we are here. Say amen, somebody. Yeah. Said, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me and also the king's word that he has spoken to me so they said let us go up and build let us go up and build then they set their hands to do good yeah they set their hands to the good work glory be to jesus this is the picture that we have today Things are in distress. But we have to be able to say, like Nehemiah, that the good hand of the Lord is upon us. The good hand of the Lord is upon us. The good hand of the Lord is upon us. And it's upon us to step in to the places where he has planted us to make certain things happen. To really show that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth.
So in the midst of crisis, don't lose the capacity to receive new visions or the grace to run with current vision, the current vision. Because what, what happened in the midst of crisis is that we start to lose our zest, our energy to be able to press in and make certain things happen. But God is counting on you and I not to lose our capacity to receive new visions and the grace to run with the current vision. Because, because of the rapid changes going on around us, as we hold the current vision, God is going to be fine-tuning it, showing us stuff, new strategies, new direction. But that only comes when we are running with courage. When we are running with courage. Uh, you see, I know there are pastors here from different parts of the country and uh, outside of the country. I need you to understand something. Some people will come to Lagos for this conference and be wishing that you are pastoring in Lagos. The Lord will help you. Because the people that are pastoring in Lagos also know <laughs> that this is not the best place to pastor in the world. Yeah. It may look, everything may look glamorous and all that. Grace is given for your assignment in the place where God has planted you. Yeah. It is specific. It is location sensitive. Grace is location sensitive. Yeah. Because if you go to a place where you have not been planted, you may get what you, what you didn't bargain for. But it's about us understanding that God wants to give us the right strategy, the right things that we need to apply from time to time if we will not cave in, if we will not give up. Glory be to Jesus. I said glory be to Jesus. My time is running very fast. I need to get my way out of this <laughs> resilient leadership. I, I want to go into the outwardly focused church. But before then, let me jump a bit. Just to lay out what I just said about minding your location, I also want to emphasize the need that a resilient leader in the midst of all the crisis and all that must also mind his gifting and the direction that God is giving him. Yeah. You are not gifted to solve every problem. You are gifted to solve the problem in the place where God has positioned you. Are you still with me today? So your gifts matter and your, 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 your calling is needed, but you are not gifted to solve every problem. Not every problem. You know, uh, uh, Paul, Paul was writing in Galatians 2, when you read from verse 6, 8, and 9, it, it, it says, uh, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they are, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to, to, no, to no man. He says, for those who seem to be something, who, who seem to be something, added nothing to me, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of circumcision had been committed to me as the gospel of your circumcision was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that has been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Yeah. There's peculiar grace that is available to get into our communities. To take hold of certain issues within our communities and face them squarely. The church I pastor, we enjoy certain measure of grace. For instance, in reaching the youth and the younger generation. We enjoy certain measure of grace also in, in certain community impact like health, for instance. Let me give you an example. I, I, I mean, this can only be God. We have one medical and surgical outreach that we carry out every year, I think for the last four years or so now. We, we do upwards of uh, maybe like 250 surgeries within one week. Yeah. And I tell you under God, because this is beyond me and beyond my team, we, are, we have not had one casualty. Yeah. Not one. 
after the second one, I told my team, there must be some grace upon us. Because even the doctors, they, they, they couldn't explain how that happens. Yeah, I have some, some, of, some of the pictures, if you can. Uh, I, don't, I think one of my assistants should be with them. If you can just show some of it. From, you know, eye surgery, people who come in, you know, uh, not seeing at all. Removing all kinds of things from glaucoma to, I mean, we pray for people and they get healed and we believe in healing. But you see this one week, our prayer was, we'll be, we'll have been praying for one week before. And then our prayer is focused mostly on medical intervention. So I just walk into the space with my team. We lay hands on people, we pray for them as we're going to surgery. Um, and one area, for instance, that we now found that has been very prevalent is the area of, uh, I've forgotten what they call it in medicine, but it's fibroids and those internal, hernia and fibroid. Um, there's a particular year, I don't know if you can get the, the, the pictures up for me. There's a particular year that they removed a fibroid from a woman, I have the picture, that is the size of a child. Yeah size of a child, I think about maybe 4 kg or something that she was carrying. Before the, the, the surgery, the doctor told me, he said, Pastor, this is probably going to be one of the most dangerous surgery we're going to have. He said, because the way these things work, it's like this woman's body has been overworking to sustain that fibroid. He said, it's like you are running a race and somebody wants to stand in front of you. He said, the moment that you hit the person, you may just collapse and die. So he said, just come and pray for this woman. Met the woman, lay my hands on her, prayed for her. You won't believe. They took that thing out of her, brought it, we took the picture of it, and then in a few hours, the woman was okay. Yeah. This woman had been going to a select church, and I'm not saying that to talk down on any church. And in that church, they had said that she was pregnant and that she has been pregnant for four years. You know, so she had practically been turned to a witch because they said she, was she has been pregnant for four years, she has refused to deliver the baby. Meanwhile, it was fibroid. Yeah. I'm talking about this woman lives somewhere after Shangotedo in the Bedileki area. I mean, the whole community heard her story. By the following year, that community almost emptied out for our medical outreach. Yeah, so it was a whole week of medical intervention. I'm saying this to just say that God releases grace. And how did we even get into this? It was a desire. And then we got a strategic partnership uh, with Dr. Iko Ibanga from uh, Aquabom State, from Uyo, Pro-Health. And then we added our own doctors to their own. I mean, everything happened, sir, like, like as if we're not doing anything. And, you know, everything just happened like that. Doctors were coming from everywhere. All I'm, the reason why I'm sharing this and I'm saying this is because I want you to understand that there are certain intervention areas that God will open up to you, you know, to your church, to your parish, within where you are. All that needs to happen is just for you to be able to pay attention. There are some things you will try out I mean, let me give you another example. During COVID, our foundation, they just said, look, we need to change strategy. COVID is here. What are we going to do? We said the most important thing for people right now is how they're going to sustain themselves. Can we open maybe COVID centers? Uh, no. There's too much government bureaucracy around that. What can we do? We prayed. I took one or two days and prayed. Let's just focus on food. Let's just focus on food. We're able to reach people in 20 local governments in Lagos. Partnered with a logistics company. They took food from us to distribute for free. I'm talking about GIG Logistics. Some of us know the company. For free. They didn't charge us for moving around in their vans. We opened an online portal. I said, people, we don't even care. Even if you're lying. <laughs> if you're lying about food, you have a problem. Yeah, so there's no problem with that. And this is a crisis situation. So open a portal online, got some of our IT guys to design something, 
and people go there and log in their details, their family details, their address, their phone number and all. And we open a call center for people to call each of those lines and just do a confirmation. And within 24 hours, you'll get a bag of food in your house. I'm sharing this as an example of the areas that God may open up to you. We're not doing that right now. It was just for that season. Because there's a need at that time. We have to be sensitive to the need of a peculiar time. And a church is planted in a town, in a city. Because God wants to count on you and I for those crisis time. For people to remember that God is still here with us through the church. Yeah. God is still here with us through the church. Glory be to Jesus. So it's very important that we position, you know, to be able to do that. Extremely important. Let me jump very quickly on the strength of this. Just saying that we have peculiarities in what God wants us to do. And these things can be big and small. History, with the benefit of history, we see people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. If you jump to that slide for me. His own was racial equality. It was known, you know, with the mantra, I have a dream. Yeah. Another man that solved a major problem that has put the church on the world map forever, just like Martin Luther King Jr. in the U.S. You see, today they have to remind people that this guy was a reverend gentleman. It's difficult for people, especially the new generation of black people, who are enjoying what they suffered for, to believe that they were holding meetings for this racial reconciliation, racial equality, after service on Sundays. In Reverend King's office. And other of their allies, allies will come from different places. If you haven't watched the movie, Selma. Yeah, you need to watch it. It was depicted there. A Nigerian-American by the name David Oyelowo was the one that acted Dr. King in that movie. Very lovely. William Wilberforce, abolition of slave trade. I'm talking about big things. But you know I've described small things, like the one I described that, like a church can do. It is when we do small things that God will show us bigger things. Yeah. God is still raising William Wilberforce's and Martin Luther King Jr.'s. But it starts with us allowing a group of people with a passion within the church, enable their passion to reach their community, to do this, to do that, to see an issue and walk into it and say, what can we do about it? And as we do that, the bigger issues, like abolition of slave trade. <laughs> see, what this guy did as a Christian in his community and a legislator, and he went and pressed and pressed, reverberated around the world, including Nigeria. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. God has been known to use his church, and he will continue to use his church. As I start to wrap this up, becoming an outwardly focused church, as we have segued into it, is a very, very important way of getting into what I've described. What must we do to be an outwardly focused church? It's about changing the mind of the people by entrenching kingdom values. These are some things that if we open them up to kingdom values, it will not be difficult for them when God is speaking to them about some of the things I've spoken about. Kingdom values. Love, generosity, integrity, respect for the rule of law, equality, accountability, diligence, and all these things. These are kingdom values that we must embody and then encourage. You see, there are some things, except you speak to people in plain English about it and tell them this is how we want to behave, this is who we want to be. For some people, you are just talking about Abraham and Sarah. Okay, this is how Abraham lived. This, uh, Abraham was generous. He fed strangers. When was the last time you fed a stranger? 
Yeah. When was the last time you gave somebody a ride in your car? Because you see, the level of insecurity and lack of trust in our community can make us lose kingdom values. Because we have trust deficit. Trust level is very low. But we are still kingdom people. We, are, we have to create a balance one way or the other. We can't say because our society is this way. We must also always be that way. How somebody is getting what I'm saying today? An outwardly focused church is a church that wants to demonstrate kingdom values to our world. Darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness with people. The Lord will give us light and then we will shine our light in the midst of darkness. Are you still with me today? Very important. But if we keep looking away from it and people say things like, oh, you can't do this in Nigeria, you can't do that in Nigeria. Respect for the rule of law is a kingdom value. Paul wrote about it and said, no man can take authority except it God gave him. And anyone in authority is a messenger of God. Glory be to Jesus. Very important. So that's one area. Secondly, mobilizing members for sectoral dominance. Mobilizing members for sectoral dominance. I'm talking about an outwardly focused church. If we want to transform society, we have to be an outwardly focused church. We start with values. And then we put a system in place to mobilize our members for sectoral dominance. So, sinners get saved. Saved people get discipled. Discipled people are trained to lead. And <laughs> trained people deployed for sectoral dominance. I think I have to, I have just about five more minutes. I need, to, I need to digress here to say something. You see what I just showed here? This thing on this, that you're looking at on the screen. This is one of the major pathway that Islam goes through. I don't want to talk too loud. <laughs> because, you see, that last one, most of the people who are I mean, this is how communities are built. In England, for instance, the people who lead the country, they went to certain schools. Arrow, Hilton College, you know, Oxford, some of those schools, they actually trained them to lead the country. But you know the truth? Those schools were started by the church. <laughs> yeah. My wife <laughs> was, was schooling for her postgraduate in Oxford once, and I went to visit her. I went to the uh, Said Business School where she, she, she studied finance. The, the, the motto of the business school of Oxford University is the Lord is our light. They wrote it in Latin. Something, something, they, you know, uh, the Lord is our light. And there, all the colleges are still College of St. John, uh, St. This, St. That. The way the church, there are some things that have not changed. The way the church put them from there. So Oxford University may be a secular university today, but the foundation of the church has not been fully uprooted from there. You see the relics everywhere. And most of the people that will lead that great nation pass through that place. Even the high schools like Eton College, like Arrow, where they go. The same thing, if you look at the, the, the uh, nation, for instance, some people have gone to school in Sudan. What did they teach them there? Did you bother to ask? And they are the ones that are taking leadership from that part of the country. Yeah. All I'm saying is that we can't stop after the first one. We can't even stop after the second one. Because when we disciple people and we just leave them within the church, the best they will be are pastors. Not everybody is called to ministry in church. Some of them, their ministry is outside there. And the church must be deliberate about saying, how do, what do we do with discipled people? We have to train them for sectoral dominance, to dominate sectors. Put my last slide quickly so that I can hear my last slide. These are sectors to dominate, and this is not even everything. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
in business and entrepreneurship if we don't, we cannot effectively transform Nigeria if we don't have certain assets of the economy in the hands of kingdom people. It's not going to be possible. We are praying for Nigeria to change, but how Nigeria will change is that kingdom people must be strategically deployed with kingdom value, like I showed before, yeah, trained specifically to bring the light of God into those places. Governance and policy, poli politics for policy formulation. Today, all of us have heard about the nation of Uganda and how America was pressing on them to legislate on LGBT so that they can get into the community and scatter it with a mindset of LGBT. And Uganda came out boldly and said, no, no. It's against the values of our nation, and we're also a Christian nation. Yeah. Imagine that the people who are sitting in the legislation there are not people who think like that, or people who, you, you understand what I'm saying? In civil service, the people who are pushing other agendas are the ones that are plenty in civil service. Yeah. Our message may have been misconstrued. Because we have taught prosperity, our church people think there's no money in civil service. You, you know, even from, <laughs> if your mind is not renewed as a pastor, if somebody finished university that you have been praying for, you have seen through university, and you say, have you gotten a job? Say, yes, I got ministry of works. Or ministry of something. Will you say, ah, you can't get a better job. <laughs> Am I saying the truth? That's what we say. You can't, with all my prayer, they don't have job in Guarantee Trust Bank or Share. So that's the problem. So we leave all those places <laughs> for certain kind of people. And a lot of our work is being wrecked there. <laughs> See, Indian forces is the same thing. Is the church positioning people to take charge of the armed forces? <laughs> See, when I was coming for this teaching, sir, what, the, what I felt the Holy Spirit was telling me is, don't cut leaves, go to the root issues. And that's why I prepared this. Because if I want to cut leaves, I would say, we should have more food in our society, we should do more medical outreach, we should do you know, more of all these things. We are cutting leaves with those things. Yeah. Can I tell you the truth as I close? Money available to the government worldwide is the main capital available. Yeah. And government also control. Even in places where entrepreneurs come out big and God blesses their work, the government can scuttle it. Yeah. The government can, it, it, government can make a billionaire a pauper if they want to. Yeah. And if you see big billionaires also, they have government with them. So we are playing as a church if we are looking away from governance, from civil service, from the military. And we say we want to reform society. We have to change. We, we, we have to start talking about it and, you know, and change how we see these things. Lastly, at the last count, sir, in the UK, for instance, they are crying. And that's why Christianity is going down. In the premiership in the UK, Two of the biggest clubs, Man United, Man City, they are owned by Islamic oligarchy. They went in and bought them. One by the Qatari people, the other one, Etihad. Yeah. I was watching Faris Zakaria, you know, on my, uh, uh, somebody sent me a clip on my way here. The only economies growing around the world today are those economies, Saudi, Kuwait, and, and all that. Gro the highest growth, I mean, the highest growth. And now the, the, the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia is going to hit $2 trillion by 2030 in just about seven years. And it's going to be the highest, biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world. And that positions them to buy anything. Our foreign reserve is just maybe about 25 or 30 billion dollars. 
Some people have two trillion in sovereign wealth fund that they have put together. But you know the truth? This is not supposed to be a story of doom because God turns things around when we are positioned. The reason why some things are happening like that is that we have not positioned and God does not waste resources. Yeah. You know, there's a Chinese adage that says, the teacher will show up when the students are prepared. Yeah. When we prepare and we get ready, God shows up. And he turns things around. And he puts in our hand what should belong to us. But let's start from the small places. Then the big dreams will come. And then we take our place. And this revival will resonate bring the right result, and Jesus will be glorified. Praise the Lord. I want to say a big thank you to Papa and Mama for, for having me, and uh, uh, I believe that today is going to be a transformational experience for every pastor that will come into this place, and that the conference starting tonight will bring a shift into our lives. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am.